0: morning, church family. My name is Ted. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Hope Church. And as we continue uh, in worship this morning, the ushers are going to be coming uh, up and down the aisle right now to collect God's tithes and our offerings. Uh, as some of you know, we were planning on having uh, one service all together outside today with the sounds of airplanes flying overhead and Highway 401 uh, right behind us and the wonderful sounds of uh, little children and babies around us. Now, we don't have the airplanes, we don't have 401, but we still have children and babies, and we're so thankful for that. And uh, let's hear it for the parents who are enduring through this service uh, with their little ones. <clears throat> Parents, we just want to let you know that the Hope Kids area is open and unsupervised, so if you want to go there, the service is being streamed there, sort of in the common room, and the toys and that sort of thing are available if you or your little one need a break at any time, um, but that's, uh, that's your choice uh, to, uh, uh, to act on. Uh, So we find ourselves in Psalm 59 today, Psalm 59. I'm going to read the uh, opening uh, notes here that are found at the beginning of the psalm. This is part of the inspired uh, text. Uh, It says, to the choir master, according to do not destroy a mictum. Uh, To the choir master means that this was a song. David wrote this as a poem. The intention was that the choir master would take this and put it to music. Uh, The melody was probably a song called right there, Do Not Destroy. That's something David said when he was running from Saul. He had a chance to kill Saul out of revenge because Saul had repeatedly tried to kill David. And his bloodthirsty nephew was trying to encourage him to take Saul's life. And David said, Do not destroy. This psalm is also called a mikdom. We don't know exactly what mikdom means. The closest guess is an Akkadian word that means covering. These are psalms that David wrote when he was under cover. But there's a little extra detail setting up this psalm. It says it's a mikdom of David when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. David wrote this psalm at a particular time when Saul, who was king, sent men to David's house to try to kill him. Now, that story is recorded in 1 Samuel chapter 19. Can we get 1 Samuel chapter 19 up on the the screen, please? So this is the passage. Now, kids, I don't think your parents are really going to understand this passage without a little bit of help from you. So I'm going to need 7 volunteers to help explain this passage to our parents. Can I can I have 7 volunteers? The story involves a king, a hero, a princess, a couple of warriors. So you two can, can can come on up here. Do you want to come on up here too? Yep, great. So that's 3. Any other any other Do you want to come up too, buddy? Do you want to come up? Okay. So there's four here comes five i need two more volunteers one two come on up little guys okay so this story involves several different characters so let's see here we need a hero of the story i think you can be king david how about that that sounds good and then we need a mean king how about you do you want to be the mean king okay so the mean king is going to be standing right over here okay there we go then we also need some soldiers I think you can be a good soldier and you can be a good soldier you can go over there with the king all right okay what else do we have here we also need a princess. Can you be a princess? And can you maybe help? Can you be the princess's helper? Yeah. Does that sound good? So you can be the princess's helper. And then you two are going to be the window. Come on over here. You guys are going to be the window. Come on. You both, hold, you both hold the hula hoop. Here, you can just hold the hula hoop here. Can you at least stand over by the window, Bo? Thanks, buddy. You guys are the window. So, so parents, let's take a look on the screen. This is a story. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. So, Saul, you're so mad, you're so afraid of David, and you're sending your messengers, go and get David. Now, David's just hanging out with his princess wife. You know, he's playing his liar. And the soldiers come knocking, and then it says, but it's Michael, I, pronounce, I like to pronounce it Mikhail, or, or M- M- Michelle, uh, his, David's wife told him, If she, she says to him, turn and say to David, let's make sure the crowd can hear though, turn and say to David, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So, so, so Mikhail let David down through the window. So here, let's, all, let's help him help him escape, jump through the window. Oh, there we go. He jumped through the window. And then this is, what, this is what Mikhail did next. She took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair as its head and covered it with the clothes. So let's see what this is. I saw this in a movie, Ferris Bueller, once. So she took an, an image and some goat's hair and then here, take the blanket, and so this is like David's bed, and you pretend like David is sleeping, okay? So then, come on come on out over here. Then the guards come, and they say, we're here to get David. And then, you're, and then you're like, well, he's self-isolating right now, and uh, he, can't, he can't come. So then it says, and when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he is sick. Then Saul sent the messengers. So you guys go back. Now you go back to Saul. Now you're really mad, Saul. Look at the crowd. Show how mad you are. You're so mad. Send them back. Send them back. And then it says, Saul sent the messengers said, bring him up to me in his bed that I might kill him. So pretend like you're going to carry the bed. So you go on this side. And you go on this side. And you're going to carry here. Come on over here. Like you're going to carry the bed. And when you carry the bed... But when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed. You carried the bed and you thought you were carrying David, but oh, it's just a head. It's just a head. And so you go back, go back to Saul and report to him that David is gone. And then you guys can go and return to your seats. Let's hear it for these kids. This is the background of the story. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Terrific, thank you. Now the title for today's message is You Are My Fortress. You are my fortress. David wrote a psalm about how God was a fortress for David. It's interesting that he, you know, we often talk about God being our fortress. There's a famous hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. David wrote that song on the last night where he ever stayed in his own house. David used to have lots of places where he would feel safe. He felt safe in the palace. He felt safe in the city. He felt safe in his own house. But things had gotten so bad with Saul wanting to kill him that David no longer had a house where he could go to. For seven straight years, David could not stay in his house. Some of us, you know, we're going to go on a camping trip or we're going to go to a summer camp this summer. Maybe for seven days you're not going to stay in your house. Imagine if you went on a family vacation, if you went on a camping trip that lasted seven years. Some of you have been on trips that felt that long. But David was no longer going to have his house as a fortress. He was going, everything that he could have trusted in had been taken away. But he knew that he could still trust in God, that God was his fortress. So let me read the psalm to you. David says in verse 1, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil. And save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord. For no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord, God of hosts, our God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Selah. Each Evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? But you, O oh Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O oh, my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down. O Lord, our shield For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride, for the cursing and lies they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth, Selah. Each evening they come back, howling. Like dogs prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress, a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. What we see from this powerful psalm filled with vivid vivid imagery about God being a fortress is this, is that with God as our fortress, we can trust that he will protect his people and punish his enemies. He will protect his people and punish his enemies. If you look closely at the psalm, and if you listen carefully as I was reading it, you would notice that There's a common structure. The psalm is kind of divided into two parts. Let me show you uh, what I mean here on the the screen. In verse 1 to 5, we have a prayer. David saying, I'm innocent, God. Help me. Deliver me. It's a prayer. Then there's a selah, a bit of a pause, a, a transition moment. Then he talks about his enemies like dogs who are howling through the night. And then he talks about God being his fortress. That's how the psalm begins. That's how verses 1 to 10 work. And then verses 11 to 17, it's the exact same sequence. It's a prayer. And then there's a Selah. And then he talks about them as dogs again. And then he refers to God as his fortress. And so there's a part one to this psalm and a part two to this psalm. And each part follows the sequence of prayer, Selah, dogs, and fortress. So let's jump into part one. Part one commands us, if we're going to follow David's example, if we're going to pray like David prayed, we are going to do this. We're going to watch for the Lord because he will protect his people. Watch for the Lord because he will protect his people. If you're taking notes today, you can jot that down. Watch for the Lord. He will protect his people. David's in need of protection. Look at verse one. Deliver me. Protect me, verse 2. Deliver me again, save me. From who? Verse 1. My enemies who have risen against me. Verse 2. The people who are working evil. He describes them as bloodthirsty men. There's a sense of urgency. I mean, David just jumped out the window. They were right there at his door. And so he's praying that God would deliver him. In verse 3 he says, For behold, they lie in wait for my life. They're waiting. They're right there at the door. And they're they're planning on destroying him. Fierce men, stir up strife against me. Look what he says at the end of verse 3. He says, for no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. In this particular situation, in terms of how David was relating to Saul, David was innocent. David hadn't committed treason, like Saul was saying, and all of Saul's advisors were saying. David had been completely loyal, had done nothing but support Saul, fighting his battles, protecting him, and helping him, and serving him. He was innocent. So David here says, I'm innocent in this particular situation. There are times in our Christian life, and I'm sure we've all lived through this, some of us might have lived through this this morning or this weekend, there are some times where we suffer, where things get hard in our life, and they get hard because we make them hard. They are hard because there are consequences for our actions. We make bad choices, or we sin, and there are consequences for that sin. And so sometimes suffering and difficulty comes into our life because we brought it on ourselves, We made the bed, and now we need to lie in it. But other times, things happen in our lives, and we haven't done anything wrong. I mean, that's what the whole book of Job is about, right? It's not that Job was a perfect person. It's not that David is a perfect person when he says that he's innocent. But there is no reason, there's no correlation between the way that David had acted and the suffering that he was enduring at the hands of Saul. In the Christian life, sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. And in the Christian life, sometimes we suffer simply because it's part of God's grand plan for us. God had a plan for David. David was innocent, and he suffered, and yet it was all part of God's plan. He tells God, verse 4, awake and come to meet me and see. He's, he's, he wonders, God, are you sleeping? Did you, did you not know that, that those guards were right at my door? Did you not see me jump through the window? God saw all of these things. But this is how David feels. He wants God to rise up and to change his situation. Then he says in verse 5, you, Lord, God of hosts, are God of Israel. Three names for God here. He says, Lord, L-O-R-D in all capitals, that's Yahweh. God of hosts, Elohim Sabaoth, that means the God of angel armies, and then the God of Israel. Notice how David is appealing to a higher power. Who was knocking at his door? Soldiers from the army of Israel. Soldiers who were sent by the king of Israel. So David here is, he's encountering on the other side of the door are soldiers from the army of Israel sent from the king of Israel. And David appeals to a higher power. He says, these are soldiers from the army. I appeal to Jehovah Sabaoth. I appeal to the God of armies. You're from the army, but I appeal to the God of the angel armies. And you're here on behalf of Saul, the king of Israel, but I am appealing to God, to Yahweh, the God of Israel. No matter what authority we find ourselves up against, no matter how much power other people might seem to have over us, that when we are with God, we always are in the majority. That when we are with God, we always have power on our side because we serve a higher power who is above any other power or authority in this world. Then David gets a little bit ahead of himself. He says, Lord, Lord God of hosts, you are God of Israel. Then he says, rouse yourself and punish all the nations. I mean, isn't he really just kind of concerned about one nation, one person in particular? His name is Saul. But what we see here is that David's perspective all throughout this psalm, it's not just about God to answer his prayer personally. He wants God to answer his prayer globally as well. He's not just concerned about his own situation. He's concerned about the glory of God. And then we have a Selah. A Selah means lift up or or to pause or to rest. And so let's take a little Selah right now. Are you suffering right now? Are you suffering because of a sinful choice you've made and you're enduring the consequences? Or are you simply suffering because of in some way this is part of God's perfect plan for your life? Are you trying to fight against earthly authority in your own life? Or are you appealing to the higher authority, the God of all the earth? And are you concerned merely about your own personal situation? Or are you concerned about God's glory being among the nations and around the world? So we have a prayer Then we have a sailor. Next, we have the dogs. Verse 6, it says, each evening they come back howling like dogs, prowling about the city. Anyone here have a pet dog? Anyone here have a pet dog? Yeah? What's your dog's name? Someone shout it out. What's your dog's name? Shout it. Oreo. Oreo? That's a great name for a dog. Anyone else have a dog? Shark? Shark? Charlie. Okay. Charlie. Yep. What's your dog's name? Benz. Whoa, okay. Luxury dog. All right. (laughs) Now, you know what? David didn't have a pet dog. You know what? Saul didn't have a pet dog. You know what? No one had a pet dog when this psalm was written. The odd shepherd might have a dog to sort of help out on the outskirts of the city, but a dog in the city, that's a problem. A dog at night in the city is not on a leash, is not behind a chain-link fence in someone's backyard. A dog at night in the city is dangerous. And so when we think dog, we're like, oh, cute, it's Oreo, it's Ben, it's Charlie. No, get those images out of your mind they are this is a real threat david compares his enemies to dogs that they're a vicious threat they come out at night so much evil is done over the cover of darkness isn't it that's what that's what david sees happening and look what, they, look what they're doing. They're prowling about the city. Verse 7, they're bellowing with their mouths. That, that could be translated, they're foaming at the mouth. They, they're salivating. They're ready to, to destroy and to devour. Swords in their lips. For they think, who will hear us? They, they've come to David's door and saying, really, who's going to stop us? I mean, we're the ones with the swords. And by the way, the person who told us to come is the king I mean, this is how Christians, this is how God's people feel in a, in a totalitarian regime. They feel like the government, the military, there's nothing that, there's nothing that I can do. This is how Christians feel in a, in, a, in a Muslim-run nation where the government, the religious world, everything is all geared, is all triggered, that there's no recourse, there's no one that they can appeal to and say, could someone please help me? And in our own day and age, this is how, how Christians are beginning to even feel in, in North America. Where, where do we turn for help? Are we going to turn to political leaders? Are we going to turn to, to the media to write a favorable story about Christians? Or are we going to turn to, uh, to, to the edu- education system or to the, the, the cultural, you know, the, 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 the popular culture in our world? Where can we turn for help? There's only one place we can turn. There's only, that's right. That's right. There's only one fortress that we can trust in. There's nowhere else that we can run. That we find that fortress and we can stand our ground. Then we hear what God thinks about these dogs who are prowling through the night they're saying who hears us and no one can stop us look at look at verse 8 but you O lord laugh at them you know god does have a sense of humor i think i think uh, because he's father god i think he loves dad jokes you know um i laid a couple out to the worship team earlier this morning they didn't go over well but i think god was laughing But if you really want to get God, especially in the Psalms, if you really want God to laugh, it's when people act like they have all the power. That just causes God to bend over sideways. His sides are hurting, laughing, and oh, really, you think you're big and important and powerful, right? I forgot. That makes God laugh. That's why we can come to him as our fortress. He laughs. We're so often impressed by the powerful in our world. We're so often intimidated by the powerful in our world. God laughs at the powerful in our world. He says in verse 8, you hold the nations in derision. And then verse 9, oh, my strength, I will watch for you. That's why the first point is watch for the Lord. This is what David says he'll do. I'll watch. I'm going to see how you're going to come through for me. I will watch for you. For you, oh God, are my fortress. I'm not trusting in anything else. I'm trusting in you, God. I'm going to stand my ground in this situation, but I'm trusting that you are my fortress My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. David had the sense that there was a, a victory coming for him. He says God is his strength. God is his fortress. God is his steadfast love. So loved ones, we need to watch for the Lord. We need to run to him as our fortress and trust that He will act because He promises to protect His people. That's part one. Here's the second part. Sing to the Lord, for He will punish His enemies. Sing to the Lord, for He will punish His enemies. And again, in this part two, we see the same structure. We have a prayer. Let's go to the next slide. We have a a prayer in verses 11 to 13. A selah in verse 13. Reference to dogs in verses 14 and 15. And then referring to God as a fortress in verse 16 to 17. So we sing to the Lord because he will punish his enemies. Verse 11, the prayer shifts from David. He's concerned mostly about God protect me. And now he's saying God punish them Protect me, that's point one. Punish them. Deliver me, but destroy them. But notice how David wants it to happen. In verse 11, he says, kill them not. He doesn't want this to happen quickly. He doesn't want this to be over in a second, and it really wasn't. This went on for years and years and years. He says, kill them not. And this is why, lest my people forget David, we sometimes forget, you know, 1 Samuel comes after Ruth and, and, uh, and, and the book of Judges. We forget that David's grandparents and great-grandparents lived through the days of the Judges. And in the days of the Judges, the people always forgot That's how the book starts. You've got Joshua. He's doing a great job as a leader. And then the people forget. And then God raised up the next judge. And then the judge delivered them. But then the people forgot. And the people kept forgetting. And so David says, Lord, can we just like hit pause here on this whole forgetfulness thing? Is Could you work things out in such a way that you don't just destroy my enemies, but that there would be some sort of national educational element... To how you deal with this. David, again, he's not just concerned about himself. He's concerned about the nation. He's concerned about the whole world. So often when we pray, we just pray about our own little thing, and what God wants us to do is to lift up our eyes. God cares about what we're going through, but he also wants us to care about his heart for the world and for the nation's in verse 13, he says, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Again, there's David's concern. It's not just personal, it's global. And then there's a Selah. This is the same kind of language that David used. This was, has, you know how it says that David is a man after God's own heart? This is why David was a man after God's own heart. Because in David's heart, wasn't just a concern for David. David's heart was concerned for God's glory among all the nations. Remember when David fought Goliath? And Goliath was defying the armies of Israel and defying the God of Israel. This is what David says. He says in 1 Samuel 17, he says, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defiled. Those are the same titles from Psalm 59. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. Now, what was the main problem? The main problem was that the Philistines were oppressing the Israelites and they needed that solved. But David had his eyes beyond the immediate problem. And he was praying for something bigger. He says, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Maybe we need to sort of think about how we pray about our problems or our struggles. Lord, help me with this. But God, help me with this in such a way that will bring glory to you. And may that glory reverberate, not just in my immediate sphere of influence, but to the ends of the earth. So we've got to sing to the Lord because he promises to punish his enemies. And then there's a Selah. There's... A pause. So how's your prayer life going? Are we following the Lord's Prayer? Because in the Lord's Prayer, before we ask for, give us today our daily bread, we're supposed to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The global is actually supposed to precede the personal. But so often, i got to be honest with you, read my prayer journal in the last year, there's a lot of personal stuff in that. Not a lot of global so just la. just pause for a second and think, Lord, how, how can I reframe the way that I am thinking and praying about my own personal struggle in a way that will get on, on mission with what God's heart is about, which is making disciples of all nations for his glory. Our prayers should not just be personal, they should also be global. So we have a prayer, then we have a Selah. And now he's going to talk about the dogs again. Word for word, verse 14. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. It wasn't over in a moment. This happened again and again and again. They came for him at his house. Then they're going to come for him in the caves. And, they're to, and then he's going to move to another cave. are just going to try to hide on a mountain. They're going to come day after day after day. They're going to come for him. And so this psalm is kind of like part one, part two. This is just two days in the life of what it was like to be David. Just a 48-hour window into what it was like to try to follow God in a hostile world. But he says in verse 15, they wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. And they will not get their fill. Seven years, they're going to chase him through the wilderness. But he was God's anointed. He was God's chosen one. And so they were never able to lay hands On him. So verse 14 is word for word the same as verse 6. And then now we move into the fortress section. And the fortress section in verses 16 and 17 is almost word for word the same as verses 9 and 10. But there's one, there's one key difference. In verse 16, it says, I will sing. But in verse 9 it said, I will watch. The soldiers came to watch David's house. David said, but I'm going to watch for the Lord. The soldiers are like dogs who are howling in the night. And David says, I'm not going to howl through the night. I'm not going to yell back at the dogs. I'm going to sing to the Lord. You see, while David is waiting, while David is watching for God to come through, he decides to worship while he waits. He's not, he's not saying, Someday when this all gets fixed, I'll praise the Lord. He says, "Right now, even in the crisis, even without without it being resolved, I'm going to find a way to worship the Lord." And how am I going to sing? He says in verse verse sixteen, "I will sing of your strength." And he says, "I will sing aloud. I will sing aloud. I'm not just going to mouth the words." I'm going to lift my voice and sing with all my might. That is what God calls us to do. Of your steadfast love in the morning. The dogs come at night. The dogs might come every night. But David is going to sing every morning. Because he knows that the day belongs to the Lord. And sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And it might be a difficult and dark season, but there is a morning that is coming. There is dawn that will rise. Verse 16, for you have been to me a fortress. David has nowhere else to run. The government can't help him. The military can't help him. The broader culture can't help him. Only God can help him. Only God is his fortress he says in the end of verse 16 and a refuge in the day of my distress verse 17 oh, my strength i will sing praises to you three times he's, he's saying i will sing i will sing i will sing for you O oh god are my fortress the god who shows me steadfast love God had shown David's steadfast love so many different times in his life, fighting Goliath, running from Saul. He'd shown his steadfast love later in his life after David sinned with Bathsheba and he experienced God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. David so many times experienced the steadfast love of God to see him as a fortress. And God has shown us steadfast love time and time and time again and he showed it most clearly through the son of David, David through Jesus Christ, the the, the physical descendant of David, the one who will sit on his throne forever. David said, I'm innocent. I'm innocent in this particular situation. But Jesus could say, I'm innocent. And he was innocent in every situation and circumstance. He never sinned. And the dogs came for him at night, didn't they? And they thought, who can stop us? And we'll strip him and we'll beat him and we'll nail him to a cross. And it seems like the night is winning. In fact, even when he was on the cross, darkness came over the whole land. And the God who punishes his enemies in that moment on the cross punished his son on behalf of us who were his enemies. And he has made a way for us to receive forgiveness, to run to Jesus as a fortress. Because whatever problem we may be facing, it pales in comparison. It becomes miniature when we hold it up beside the problem of our sin and the issue of eternity and where we will spend it. But Jesus came and suffered and died as the innocent one and rose to life as we saw and witnessed in Hannah's a baptism so that we could be forgiven, so that we could run to him as our fortress against the enemy of sin and death. And when we run to him as our fortress for those things, we will be able to run to him and trust in him in any of the other trials and difficulties that we face in this world. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, for this Sunday where we could gather uh, together, Lord. We thank you that um, with a heat warning and a thunderstorm warning, we were able to come to this place as a a refuge, as a place from, from getting out from the weather and seeking refuge here. We thank you for this psalm that teaches us that we can take refuge in you when we struggle when we suffer, when people lie about us, when people mischaracterize us, when people seek to harm us or destroy us. Thank you, God, that you are in control. And Lord, we pray that you would draw very near to us. We pray, Lord, that while we watch for you and wait for you, Lord, that we would simultaneously be committed to worship you. The psalm says, I will wait and I will sing. And so, Lord, whether we're in a healthy season, a season of abundance, or whether we are in a season where we are struggling and we are suffering, Lord, we pray that we would worship you while we wait. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.